It's HBR, All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence, wrapping up two days on our latest road stories with the band America. Find part one from yesterday at hawaiipublicradio.org slash roadstories with our guest, co-founder, and voice of many of their greatest tunes, Dewey Bunnell. They return to Hawaii next week, Friday at the Mac, and Saturday at the Blaisdell Concert Hall. It's America's Dewey Bunnell. It's so fascinating. You have these three families of military background. Was there resistance from your folks, Jerry's or Dan's, being military members to you guys embarking on sort of the counterculture journey that rock music was and is? Yeah, and that's a good question. And you would think to the average person that being in military families, whatever that stigma or not is, would be, you know, stay as far away from that. But no, uh, I can honestly say my dad was supportive. He was kind of indifferent, to be honest. I think all of our parents thought, yeah, they'll grow out of this or whatever, but none of them stood in our way. I don't remember Dan or Jerry ever coming to me and going, hey, my parents want me to go get a job and we got to stop this. <laughs> I think the fact that we were so fortunate that we made connections fairly quickly and our future was set pretty fast. We met some influential people in London in the music scene. We had a little bit of a leg up because we were Americans. That had a certain cachet when we were going into record company or publishing companies. Because none of us can specifically remember the exact minute we called the band America. Mm. We've always said that we sat in that cafeteria and there was a jukebox called the Americana. But there's no specific time we went, there's the name, we're going to call it that. Because we've lost him. Dan uh, passed away in 2011. And when he left the band to pursue a religious path, he's known as a pioneer in contemporary Christian music. Was his religious interest or background with that already in a, a factor in his life? Talk a little bit about him as a, as a person. Yeah. Well, Dan was a really smart guy. He was a funny guy. I really enjoyed his company. We got along well. We were the Three Musketeers after we bonded in school. But we did come from different backgrounds to some degree. My dad was an NCO, and Jerry and Dan's dads were both officers. Mm. Believe it or not, my dad would salute Jerry or Dan's dad. Dan's family was initially all from Missouri, and there was a Southern Baptist thing, I think, going on there. And religion was never part of our day-to-day discussions or anything. Jerry and I, with British mothers, it's kind of this Church of England Protestant thing. I always had a lot of guilt about not being a religious guy and Mm. uh, not being raised that way, because certain bases, certain cities, certain states that we lived in, the kids were all going, hey, you're not going to church on Sunday? That kind of thing. But then I do remember when the band got going, and we might be confronted by, as we'd say, a Jesus freak kind of guy or somebody, Dan always said, all you do is say that you're saved. Say you're saved, brother. So he already had the lingo. (laughs) So I I thought, ah, Dan, good one, you got that. Yeah, okay, I'm saved, brother. But um, when his life came to a crossroads after all the success and all the excess and all the money and all the fame, he was kind of brought to his knees 
figuratively and emotionally. He wanted to follow that path. I was very surprised that that had been bubbling under in his life. I guess he was raised with a pretty strong religious background. And as people do, when they have that, it's a source of comfort. Sure. And he needed that when he left the band. And you supported him, right? Both of you guys were on like his first solo stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tough time for everybody. And we'd all been, as we say, the spin dryer had spun us for those first five years or so. Because we had these so-called meteoric rise. First album, the first single, and number one. We win the Best New Artist Grammy of 72. Amazing. So it was exhilarating. It was mind-blowing. It was... Um, a lot to take and, in is what you're saying, too, when you think about Yeah, I think so. I think so. Within months, we did a tour of club dates in the U.S., starting in New York City at the Bitter End, a week there in Greenwich Village, and ending at the Whiskey A Go-Go. And after that six weeks, the record was number one in the U.S., we flew back to London. Within weeks, we were propositioned by David Geffen for management back in the U.S. Wow. Packed our bags, and we we didn't have a real manager in England. We had a de facto manager who got us on the bills with huge bands, open for The Who and Pink Floyd, and right. did a tour of Cat Stevens. And Geffen, also, he managed Neil Young, and the Eagles were just starting. Joni Mitchell was in that office, and... CSN, Jackson Brown, J.D. Souther, Linda Ronsat. We were like 19 and 20 years old. We were on the first plane back to L.A. Can you even imagine? I mean, you're thinking back, David Geffen and this powerful guy. You guys come to the United States, and we just lost not long ago David Crosby, and he factors into your story. Yeah, it was pretty jaw-dropping for us. When we got out to L.A., we flew in. We were met by David Geffen's assistant at the airport. We had nowhere to live or anything, and we moved into David Geffen's house with him. Joni Mitchell was up there a lot, playing the piano. She would live there for weekends or travel around. Not sure what their arrangement was. And Crosby came one day up to the house, and it was like, David Crosby, we love you guys. (laughs) And he said, yeah, well, that's obvious. He had that uh, edgy sense of humor. But David was in and out of our lives, and he'd be in the office, and he'd be funny. And we never played with CSN or anything. In later years, we did shows with Graham, and we did a tour with Stephen. We did one show with David Crosby. It was a benefit. It wasn't that long ago. And it was really great. We got to sing with David. We did Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, and we were backstage and working out vocals with him and stuff. We met so many people, and it was a big family in that office. Geffen and Roberts, Elliot Roberts and David Geffen had a management firm called Lookout Management. Our very first tour, J.D. Souther was out with us, and then the second tour was Jackson Brown. We still see them now and then. We did a show with Jackson last year sometime, but it was through David Geffen that we were able to connect with George Martin. He had half a dozen different managers in that office, ultimately Irving Azoff came into that office and brought Joe Walsh, and we got to Joe to play on our third album. That's a great one on the first time you met Cross, though, so literally you're like, oh, we love you, and his first remark is, well, that's obvious. (laughs) Yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, he was always a funny guy. That's a great memory. We were working an awful lot. That's one thing David Geffen did. He immediately was organizing big tours, and we were 
playing the big arenas and the HIC and then later called the NBC arena and then finally just called the Blaisdell has been a big part of it yeah and the concert hall yeah, now absolutely and the first year I believe that first tour we ended there at Blaisdell or HIC whatever we want to call it now you ever do Diamond Head yeah we did the Diamond Head Festival one of those big ones in a chartered plane it's funny you mention that Fly Stone, Fly and the Family Stone, and yep. he, I always remember he was on that plane, <laughs> walking up and down the aisle. It was a chartered plane, so all the bands, Cheech and Chong, I know, were there on the plane with us. Yeah, because they played at the same festival, all of you guys. Yeah, yeah. And we had David Cassidy with us, who was, we'd gotten friendly with David Cassidy. He came over for that festival just to hang out, I remember. Was Billy Preston at that one? I can't remember. I used to have a poster of that one that you're talking about. You know what? I think he might have been. Yeah, now that you mention it. We'd stay at the Hilton Hawaiian Village a lot. Um... Over there on the other side of the island, Jerry would know. He remembers. Yeah, the Kahala. Yeah, the Kahala Hilton. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest Hawaiian memory is that we made an album there over on Kauai. Harbor. Harbor album, yeah. We were there for a month. It was over Thanksgiving, and we spent a lot of Warner Brothers money on on that trip. George Martin and our whole crew, our wives, our girlfriends. I think we rented four or five houses. We had one big house that George Martin converted the big living room into a studio it was a big production the record didn't do quite as well as it should have to pay for all that but it was a great memory well very good well it's going to be uh april 14th at the mac april 15th at the uh concert hall so many memories with uh dewey bunnell well, you got me on a good day, I think, Dave. I started talking to you back in 2007. You guys were coming to the arena at the time. I remember. <laughs> I remember. And I uh, hope you had fun, though, today. I hope this was a fun experience for you. I did, Dave. Thank you very, very much. You made it very easy. Big aloha. Good luck with the horse, the tortoise, and, and everything. Take care, Dewey. <laughs> the tortoise. <laughs> All right. You have a great day. Aloha, Dave. There ain't no one for to give you no pain. Ah, ah, ah.